The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Uh, I'd ask that you turn with me over to Psalm 29. Psalm 29, I want to talk to you about something that's been on my mind uh, for some time now. I want to talk about the power of God. And this has been a, a topic, obviously, that, that we'll spend eternity uh, learning more about, about his power and, and seeing it with our own eyes. And certainly all of us could point to times in which we have felt his, felt his power, seen his power. Um, there was, there was a, a while back I was doing sort of a, uh, I guess it was a series of expositional um, sermons where I went and talked about the voice of God and about the, the hands of God and the feet of God and all the, the images that we see in Scripture that can teach us about God uh, in those things. And I don't know if, if, if I shared all of those with y'all. We, you know, we, we travel so much and, and I've shared uh, those, those studies with others. Um, but it, I, I was thinking about them again um, th- this afternoon especially. It was heavy on my mind. Um, and so I, I'd like to go and, and talk about some of those again, but um, we'll start in Psalm 29. I think this will be fruitful for us. The power of God. And as, as you're, you're probably already there, but just to begin, I'll say this, that our God, uh, it says in Scripture, there's a phrase used when talking about God's enemies. And it says that God will break our enemies, his enemies, into pieces. And that is a very uh, graphic description. It's not just that he's going to defeat his enemies, that he will break his enemies into pieces. It's even said at one point of of the rock of God, that that he who falls on the rock will be broken. You know, you can come before the Lord today and hopefully be broken. There's, There's a sense in which I and my haughty spirit needs to come before the Lord and fall on my face on Jesus and be broken on Him. But you know what happens if you don't do that? (laughs) He says that that rock will fall on you and and grind you to powder. I mean, how many times have have we seen that? Brother Chris, Brother Tim, how many times have you seen that in prosecuting somebody where you've got this proud person who will never be wrong? And they get ground into powder. When if they would have approached it more with more humility, it may have been a different story altogether. So when we, when we talk about the power of our God, we're talking about a serious thing, a, a, a God of power. So let's look at his voice. In Psalm 29, I'll read this to you. It says, Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength, give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name, worship the Lord and the beauty of holiness. I hope that's what we're doing here tonight. It says, The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The glory of God thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars, yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to skip like a calf, Lebanon Syrian like a young unicorn. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. 
All these images are, are great natural things that, are, that, that can be life-threatening. The fire. It says, The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. Can you imagine the amount of power and, and energy just on a, on, a, on a scientific level that it would take to move an entire wilderness? But His voice shakes the wilderness. As, a, as it were, an earthquake. You know, there was, there was a night this week, I guess it was uh, Thursday night, Wednesday night, whenever the, the storm came through, and, and I was awakened multiple times in the night with the thunder. And that, it, it seemed to shake the whole world. It certainly sh shook our house, <laughs> uh, shook my eardrums. But, but can you imagine the voice of God calling out, crying out, and, and, the, and the power that He has? Verse, verse 9. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calve, and discovereth the forest. Uh, this is something that has meant more to me as of late. I know all of you are aware that um, that Meredith and I have been uh, trying to have children for some time. Uh, not able to yet. We certainly pray for that blessing. But to think of the power of our God, that His very voice can make the hinds to calf. And I trust he'll give us that blessing, that his voice make us to be with child too. But not only do we see the power of God in, in, in his voice, but we see, we see the love that God has for his creation, that he would be so mindful even of, of the beast out there in this world. And we sometimes, we think of, of God as if he has just set the world into order, He's, he's wound it up like a clock, and then he's just let it happen. And, and nature just does its thing. The image we see here of God is of a God that is still intimately involved. As you, as you see those, uh, those beasts out there that have their young, that maybe even God is watching that and rejoicing in that and, and, and perhaps even taking part in that. It says, the voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. He makes the hinds to calve and discover the forest. And in his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. The Lord sitteth upon the flood. Yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. You know, that is a true statement. Whether the Lord ever blesses us to have a child whether the Lord ever blesses us to have a great economy again, whether we ever uh, repeal abortion, no matter what happens, the Lord will be king forever. That is something you can rejoice in. The Lord will give strength unto His people. The Lord will bless His people with peace. You know, that's a powerful God that even in the midst of weakness, even in the, in the midst of your broken flesh and in this broken world, He promises to give you strength. 
You know, it's also said about the voice of our God that it's, just, it's the voice as of many waters. Have you ever been to a, a, a roaring, raging river or a waterfall and just heard how deafening it is? You know, we were there, I guess it was, was it Glacier? We were there trying to take a family photo, which is, that is a, a normal uh, part of the process with the McCools. We, ha we have a, a family picture, and Mason is over there at the edge, and he is taking a video or something, and we're all, we're all lined up ready for the picture because we know the drill, and Mason does too, but I don't know, he was just so enthralled with the water. And all of us were calling over to Mason, Mason, come over here, we're waiting. We're all sitting here, I'm, I'm dying in the sunlight, squinting into the sun as we're waiting on this picture, and Mason's just over there watching the water. But he says he could not hear us, okay? He, he, he says, he says he cannot hear us. But look, I, I'll give him some credit, it was loud. The sound of that water was so loud, you could not hear. And so, no matter regardless of the fact that all of us were screaming to Mason to come over here and to relieve me of, of sweating in the sun so we could go ahead and get this picture, I know he couldn't hear us because the water is so loud. It's amazing that that is how God describes his voice in Scripture. Man, what a, what a God. You know, in creation, we see this in Genesis. You know, do we see... This, this God that's sitting there tinkering and, and creating with all this, this great amount of effort that he's putting into it. No, he just says, he said. And, and he said, let there be light. And, and light obeyed. Isn't that amazing? You know, some people ask as they question whether creation is real and they think maybe that, that evolution is probably how it happened. You know, they can't wrap their head around how how a being could always have existed. And it, it's really kind of simple. It's simple but profound. You know, God created time. So, so our perception of what we think is happening is something that he created. Amen. He created time. He created matter. He created space. All at the same time. It, it blows my mind that some being outside of this creation could do that. And, and really, we see it in nature. You know, I've got, a, I've got a phone here. You've all got phones. The, the person who created this phone is not inside this phone. No, the, the, the creator of this phone is outside of the phone. The, the God who created time and space and matter is outside of all those things. You know, and he had to create time, or there's no, there's no when to put anything, right? There's no time to put it in. And then he had to create space or there's nowhere to put it. And then he had, to, he had to create things to put it there. So he did all those things at the same time. It's really kind of simple if you think about it. Simple yet profound. Now that's the power of our God. In Hebrews 1 and, and verse 3, we see this. We see that he created all things. And by the word of his power... He sustains this. You know what that lets me know? <laughs> that lets me know that not only did the Lord just set this world up and wind it up like we said before, but yet also He sustains it. You know, we should be responsible uh, about the environment. 
You know, we should care about littering and all those sorts of things. You know, but I'm not too concerned about the world and, and global warming cutting off the lifespan of this earth before it's time. Okay, the Lord sustains it with the word of his power. That also lets me know just how, how frail my life is. I have confidence in God. But if I put my confidence in this world, this world may just be one word away from dissolving in, in, in a fervent heat. You know that? If I'm building up my life here, if I'm putting all my energy into building up a life for my family, you know, all it takes is one word from God to dissolve it all away. Now, that's a powerful God. All the healings and the miracles that he did in, in, in uh, the New Testament, you see him, uh, most of them are him just speaking it into being. And then one, one, a beautiful image that we see also in Scripture is him coming to, to a child of God in the new birth. It's described as him speaking. It reminds me again of him, of, of, the, of the hinds calving when he comes to them and speaking, speaking to them. As he gives you life, he calls you to life with his voice. All right, let's move on. We need to get, uh, get moving. Let's look at the feet of God very quickly. And I, I won't give you a verse for this. It's all through Scripture. I'll just say this. It is said that the earth, that this earth is his footstool. This is what he rests his feet on. You know, I, I have already accepted the fact that there is no way that I can visit all of the areas of this earth before I, before I die. There's no way. It's impossible. The world is too big for me to visit all of it. I would love to visit these little towns and, and uh, eat at that diner. I would love to go over to some foreign country and to see it and to see all of it, to, to just adore our Creator and looking at all of it. But there's no way that I could live long enough to see it. But yet all of that is just a stool that He puts His feet on. Now that's, that's incredible. Something else that I just thought about as I was sitting here is, is light. Light is also uh, used to describe God. It says that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. I also love this. When, when Moses asked, he besought to see the glory of God. I mean, he was serving God. He wanted to see God. And he said, you can't handle it. You can't handle seeing my glory. And so he hid him in the cleft of the rock. And then he passed by and he allowed him to look uh, at his hinder parts. And then as Moses came down, they had to put Moses away. They said, you're too bright. The glory of God was shining off of him. You know, he is light. You see the images of Jesus when he reveals his glory, or at least a, a, a further extent of it, and it is bright, and it is blinding. God is light. I mean, that, that is powerful. Let's look at the fingers of God. Uh, let's look at Psalm 8, the 8th Psalm. 
in verse 3. I'll, I'll read this quickly. I'm trying to move on. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? And this really is a summary of this whole message that I, I believe the Lord is leading me to. You know, we, we can see in the night sky the stars. Man, it is, it is so incredible. You know, sometimes I think I'm, I'm able to just, it's almost as if I'm looking at a backdrop. I can't really believe that those are actual celestial bodies, that those are actual, you know, uh, suns and stars out there that are just millions and billions of miles away. Sometimes it's hard to just fathom that. And the expanse of space and even with all the technology and how evolved we are and, and humankind, we still have no idea where the universe ends. We still haven't been able to see the end of it. Man, that's so random, isn't it? Isn't it so random that just an explosion took all this chaos and made order out of it and and how the the planets circle around the sun and all this order man and then we look at that and and god says look this is just my finger work and our response to that god in the face of that glory should be exactly what david says here he says what is man that thou art mindful of him. You know, when I look at the stars, it puts me in my place. As I lay there and I look up at the stars and I say, why God? If you could make all of that, why would you make us and say it is very good? Why would you go to the cross for me? If you could build that with the work of your fingers, why would you love me? You know, that is the power of our God. We also see in in, uh, in Exodus, the Lord gives the law uh, to his people. And the first time he gives it to them, you know, Moses goes up into the mountain and, and the Lord writes the law down on the tablets with his own finger. It says the finger of God. He etched it out in the stone. And what does Moses do when he comes down with those tablets and sees that they have made this golden calf? You know, Moses had a bit of a a temper problem. He had an anger issue. We see that time and time again. He takes those, those tablets and he throws them down and breaks them. Well, the next time Moses had to etch it out. <laughs> so, but isn't that so like us? I mean, that's, that's a reflection of how the, of how the law uh, soured in between the days of Moses all the way up and between that time and the time of Jesus where they added so much and they, they, they twisted it so much. You know, God gave us good things and we mess it up. Now, Luke 11, I want you to go there really quickly and then we'll move on to something else. Luke 11. Now, I don't know if any of you have been so foolish as to watch a horror movie that is about uh, a demon possession. I do not recommend it. I have, I have been so foolish to do that. Um, 
Meredith, I believe we watched one when we were dating together because I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to be strong and tough, and, and, and this is, she's going to like me more when we get done with this. And I was horrified. It is a terrifying thing. And then you sleep with the lights on that night, and you have the Bible close by in case you need to, like, exercise a demon or something. You know, it is horrifying. I can't think of anything in this world more, more terrifying than demons, especially since we know they're real. But, you know, as, as formidable of a foe as they may seem to be and as scary as they may seem to be, our God is far, far greater. He is powerful. We see this in Luke 11, and you can direct your attention to verse 20. Jesus here uh, is, is um, for one, they're saying to him, he's, he's of a devil. <laughs> Which, you know, C.S. Lewis says, if you're looking at Jesus and, and his acts, you have to conclude that he is, either, he is either from Satan or he is what he says he is. Because the things that he does, there's no other explanation. And so that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, but if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. He's casting out demons. And yet they're saying he's from, he's from Satan. He says, well, that's, you know, that wouldn't be a, a really good business plan model if Satan was casting out his own demons. You know, he's, he comes and he's casting out demons. But I love, he says this, with the finger of God. You know, just, just the finger of our God is powerful enough to cast out these things that terrify us, right? Just like flicking an ant away, right? That is our God. Now, that should encourage you. When you feel fearful of things like that, you know, just, just get a little bit closer to your shepherd. You know, he can just flick those things away from you with the power of his finger. And then we see the hands of God. If you turn to Isaiah 40, it's one of my favorite depictions of the hands of God. Isaiah 40 and verse 12 says, Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with the span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Man, these mighty things, these large things, are seem, seem to be so small to God. All the waters of the world, and he just measures it out in the hollow of his hand. That is a big hand, you know, that he could measure out the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand. And I've shared that with you before, and I've shared statistics with you before about how much of the earth is, is full of water. And I mean, it is just astounding. And also that he measures out the heavens. Remember, I told you, we still don't know where the universe ends. I, I don't think it does have an ending. But yet he measured that out with the span of his hand, just like this. He just measured it out. It fits there inside of his hand. Man, that is a, that is a God of power right there. Amen. <clears throat> we see 
the plagues of Egypt and all the, you know, the, the might of the, of the kingdom of Egypt and how God brought his hand down on them and smote them with all those plagues and delivered his people. We see also very similarly in Daniel where, where King Belshazzar is sitting there and then this hand appears and it's just writing on the wall. And Belshazzar was like he had seen a ghost. You know, it was telling him that, that your reign is coming to an end. You know, that is the hand of our God, that he can bring these powerful kingdoms down low with just his hand. But I love this. Isaiah 50, just a little bit over from where we were. He says this in verse 2. It says, Wherefore, when I came, was there no man? When I called, was there none to answer? He says, Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke I drop the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stinketh because that there is no water and dieth for thirst. And we'll just stop there. He's asking this rhetorical question. He says, Is my hand too short? To redeem, to save. You know, this was something that really, really bugged me when I was growing up of another order. You know, because the onus was on me that Jesus went to the cross and he died for our sins, and yet there was still something left for me to do that I had to accept that gift, that I had to be. Uh, properly baptized, and then, man, I, I better keep it together or I might lose it. Now, this is not the image of God that I see here Amen. in Isaiah. Amen. Is His hand so short? Is, is our God's hand so short that we have to help Him out in salvation? That, that He has to go to the cross and then I have to, I have to prop Him up and help him by accepting that gift that he gives me. Or that I have to endure and persevere to not lose it. No, the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. No, the hand of our God is, he is mighty. He doesn't need our help. We also see this in Isaiah 51, just, just the next chapter over. In verse 16. That massive hand, those massive strong hands, those everlasting arms, those, that hand of God that measures out all the waters of the world. He says, And I have put my words in thy mouth, and I have covered thee in the shadow of mine hand. That I may plant the heavens and lay the foundations of the earth and say unto Zion, Thou art my people. You know, God comes to his people with those mighty hands, and He covers them up. Man, do you feel safe in the hands of that God? I know I do. You know, people in, in, in Puritan days, I believe it was uh, Jonathan Edwards was preaching about sinners in the hand of an angry God. And you can certainly drum up a picture of God as a, as a wrathful God against sin, but, but child of God, that is not the God who comes to you as a blood-bought child of God. You know, 
That's how he came to Jesus. That's how he dealt with Jesus on the cross. He doesn't deal with you that way. He comes to you and he gathers you up in his hands. Those mighty hands. And he protects you there. He holds you safe there. Now I want to go to, to Genesis 32, and this is where we're going to wrap up, okay? This is really where I wanted to get to. Genesis 32, I want to go to one of the, one of the most curious of all the passages in Scripture. We have Jacob here. As he is fearful for his life and fearful for the life of his children... Because he is returning again to his brother, Esau, who he is, he is cheated, he is stolen from. I mean, I, I can imagine being a little timid and, and fearful. But Jacob has been sitting there. He's been sending his family out in droves so that if, if he might, if, if Esau falls on them, he might only just lose a few and not all of them. He's hedging his bets. Can you imagine having to go through that thought process with your family? I can't even imagine what state of mind he's in. And then we see here, verse 24, as he, as he, he leaves his family there at the camp and he crosses over the ford there. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Wow. What a curious little story here. A true event that happened in the life of Jacob. You know, many people believe that there was an angel, that this was an angel that appeared to him. I believe it was Jesus. I believe it was Jesus himself coming to him. Why, why do I believe that? Well, for one, Jacob says, For I have seen God face to face. Inspired by the Spirit of God in this, I, I believe that. I take that for face value. That he saw God face to face. But also this, after this little encounter, this wrestling match, Jacob gets renamed to Israel. And I don't believe that any angel would have the authority to do that. That God himself has named this person that he has chosen Israel, which means prince with God, as opposed to supplanter, which is what Jacob means. I mean, what a change. What a difference. That is the election of God, that he could take us supplanters, rebels and make us princes right isn't that the isn't that the grace of our god 
Now this is just astounding. That Jesus would come down, would meet with Jacob in his hour, uh, uh, his darkest hour, his hour of need. And Jacob wrestled with him. And he said, I won't let you go until you bless me. Man, what an example to us in our prayers. You know, we come before God. We come before God who can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. We ought to be persistent and, and seeking out His blessings. But this is amazing to me. You know, we've, we've been talking about the power of our God, and yet we see Him get beaten in a wrestling match by a man. Man, isn't this, isn't this something? You know, there was, there was a time, I was pretty proud of it. I was probably seven or eight years old. And my dad and I, as, as is wont to do with, with young men, I began to wrestle with him some. It wasn't like I was trying to supplant his authority or anything as the man of the house. It was just, it was just a rite of passage. You get what I'm saying? And I beat him. I did. And, man, you know, we would get on the floor and we would play bulls. And, man, I could push him out of the way. And I was so proud of it. You know, it wasn't until years later that I realized he let me win. <laughs> you know that? He could have beaten me so, he could have embarrassed me so bad. But he let me win. <laughs> oh, man. You know, my dad, he's not a big man. But, you know, Dairy Farmer, you know, he, he, uh, he was a strong man, still is. But he's told me before, once, he, once we sold the farm and he started teaching, you know, he would deal with some pretty big kids, and you got, you, got, you know, uh, big bulls together. They, they, they might push you around a little bit. And so Daddy would say, he said that, you know, he knew that he, he might have to take it up to 10 real fast, <laughs> you know, because he, he knew that he wouldn't get a second shot. So he said that... Uh, he said he'd play dirty if he had to. So he's a scrappy guy. But yet he let me win, right? Man, isn't it amazing that the God of the universe, that this powerful God who could just flick away demons, he comes down to Jacob. This, you know, I, could, I don't know. I just imagine Jacob as a very annoying person. Every, every instance in Scripture that we see of him is, is annoying to me. I don't know why. But he comes down to this, this annoying person, Jacob, and he wrestles with him all the night. Man, what a, what a special privilege that the God who could, just, who could just zap us, flick us away, that he, that he would even dare, that he would deign to come down and to allow some annoying person to wrestle with him. Man, I, I can't even imagine, as, as I, I can't imagine God's perspective as I come to Him in my prayers. As there's something that I know He doesn't want me to do, and I am just pushing against it, and I'm asking again and again if He might show me His will. He'd already shown it to me time and time again. It just wasn't the answer I was looking for. And as I'm wrestling with God, and He could just pulverize me. But yet he loves me so much that he wrestles with me. Isn't that amazing? 
Now, you may see the power of God in the stars. You may see the power of God and, and the power of His voice and of His hands and of creation and, and, and all these things we should find glorious and we should give Him all the glory for it and see His power in that. But you know where I see His power? I see His power in the fact that He would come, that He would wrestle with us. That he would love us enough to put up with us. Now that is power. And you see how easily once, once the Lord decided to get out of there, he just, he just touched his hip and he was, he was limp from that day forward. Now what does this? I believe this is an image of our salvation. A clear image of our salvation. That this powerful God would come down, that He would endure this mess for us. You know, we talked about the voice of our God and the voice that I long to hear in the flesh and the voice that we will hear together someday. That sweet voice. That voice that has creating power. That voice that has condemning power. That strong voice as of many waters. You know what? You know what? That shows me power. But you know what shows me the power of God? And the love of God is that that voice would cry out from the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That he would endure that for me and for you. Now that is the power of our God. That that voice would cry out for my sake. That as he would sit there thirsty, crying out, it is finished. And those precious feet, the feet that this world is just his, his footstool, and those mighty hands that we've talked about, it shows me the power of God is that He would allow nails to be driven through those for me and for you. That He would suffer for me and for you. You know, I know this is a, this is a really small example. You know, in heaven, it is said that, that, that He will be there with His scars. With, with the, the nail prints in His hands and the nail print in His, in his feet. And, and his pierced side, that that will be there. You know, we will be all cured of our, of, our, of our maladies, you know. But he will be there like that, as a lamb slain. Why is that? You know, the, God has, has the ability to make all things better. To make all evil things untrue. But you know what? I, I believe, I, this, is a, this is a speculation, okay? But I believe that he is going to be proud of that Amen. in heaven. I believe that's why he's going to suffer that to still be there, those scars. Because it's, he's proud of it. It shows his love for you. You know, as I said, this is a really, really tiny example. But I've got one of my favorite shirts. One of my favorite shirts that... Um, I think that, I can't remember how you messed it up, Meredith. But Meredith messed up one of my favorite shirts. 
I don't know if it was an ironing accident or if it was, you know, if it was some, you know, a bleach mishap or something. But, but my, one of my favorite shirts is messed up. And, and Meredith wants to get me a new one to replace it. But you know what? I don't want her to. And I still wear it because it reminds me, it reminds me of her. When I see that little imperfection in my shirt, it reminds me, I love that woman. I can, I can only imagine that as Jesus looks at his hands, at his side, he says, I love those people. I love them. I love them. You know, we could afford another shirt, but I don't want another shirt. I want that one. And as that God of light, you know, we said that he is, he is a light. There is no darkness in him. You know, I'll be honest with you. I, I'm a big boy now, but I'm still a little afraid of the dark, okay? You know, why is it? Why is it that the dark is so, is so scary? I think one of, the, one of the things is that our, our Lord, is, our God is a God of light. Well, you know what? <laughs> you know what shows me the power of our God? Is that when he was on that cross, as God turned the lights out on him, as he endured that in darkness and the abandonment of God, man, he did that for me. He did that for you. There was no night light for Jesus on the cross. You know, this is silly, but if, if I get in bed first and Meredith closes the door, well, I like to keep the door sort of cracked so that we can have the, you know, the lamp in the living room and so there's a little light in there. I don't want to wake up in pitch black darkness, you know, because then if you have to go anywhere, you know, it's just it's a disaster. But there was, no, there was no night light for our Savior as he, as he was there on the cross, bleeding out for you, experiencing that, that rock being dropped on him, grinding him to powder for you. And that shows me the power of our God. And I'll, I'll leave you with this. This is the last thing I'll share with you. There's so much we could, we could talk about here. We talked about the finger of God, the power of his finger, how he could cast out demons with his finger, and the finger work of God as he, as he you know, put those stars out into space and calls them by name. That's just his finger work. You know, as they brought, as they called a woman in adultery, they brought her to Jesus. And they brought those accusations and they just hurled them at her. What did your God do? Your God of righteousness. He sat down and with his finger, he just drew in the dirt. Can you imagine? Our God. Man. You know, you would expect... That, you know, that, that story baffles me. It really does. Because I know that God is a righteous God. And that is a, that is a clear-cut sin. And, and she was caught in the act. I mean, th this is an open and shut case. We could, we could get her to plead guilty. You know, it, it is clear. But yet, this God of righteousness, what does he do? 
Instead, instead of getting up and, and, and getting ready to throw down the gavel of justice on her, what does he do? He sits there and he draws in the dirt. You know, when I was playing Little League Baseball, and they put me in the outfield, and, and they put me out there because I was no good when I first started. Because everybody knows that's where they put the bad players, because most kids can't hit it past the bases, right? And I, I would find a little patch of dirt, and you know, and you would kind of toss your glove off, and then you would just kind of kick in the dirt, and then you would draw a little tic-tac-toe formations and all kind of stuff in the ground. You know why I did that? Because I was bored. I can only imagine as they brought those accusations to Jesus and he just says, I'm bored with this. This is our Savior that was about to go to the cross for those sins. Now, now don't get me wrong. He says go and sin no more. This is not, we don't believe in a just live any way you want to because of grace. But grace nonetheless is real. That our God the righteous God of the universe would sit there as her advocate, bored from their accusations. You know, there are many times where I've been convicted of my sins. And that's something that the Lord gives you. But there have been many more times where old sins, already confessed, already forgotten, are brought back up again. And I'm reminded again and again of my filth. And how could God love somebody like you? How could God love this woman? You know, Satan loves to throw those accusations at you. To remind you of how filthy you are. You know, because he knows he can't steal you from heaven. He, he knows that his shot right now is to just rob you of your joy right now. And you can tell the difference. You need, or at least you need to know how to tell the difference between the conviction of God and then the accusations of Satan. But you know what? Jesus is bored with the accusations of Satan. As he throws them over and over and over again, Jesus has already paid for them. No, no new sacrifice is required. Jesus died on that cross for you. And that's why he can be bored as they, as they lay those accusations off at this woman. Man, the power of God that he would come down, though he is so powerful, and love you enough to wrestle with you, to have those mighty hands pierced for you. Man, I, I pray that that is a God that we might remind each other of as we go throughout this week and the weeks to come. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.